Welcome back into the Royals Farm Report. My name is Joel Penfield, joined as always by Alex Duvall. How you doing, man? Joel, I am fantastic. We're recording on Sunday night. Today's the 22nd, and I've got a little guy who's now almost three weeks old. I go back to work tomorrow, um, teaching at the high school level. So, um, you know, last week we were back at work, but I was able to, you know, um, be around quite a bit. Our hours are pretty flexible that week before work. And then, you know, tomorrow's our first real week. Students are back. Um, everybody's going to be in masks after they, they let us off the mask thing at the end of the last school year. So we got a little taste of freedom. And then now the Delta variant is wreaking havoc on everybody. So we'll be back in masks during a full school week with everybody back in class. So it's got its, you know, it's got its cons. It's got some some stuff you're not really looking forward to. But, you know, it's a new school year. I'm excited. I really, really am excited to get all my kids back in class. Last year was kind of kind of chaotic having half your kids online, half are in class. Everybody's, you know, on edge and walking on eggshells with the, with the virus. So um, everybody's got a school year under their belts now, whether they were virtual or in class, really. And it'll just be good to get the kids back in and, you know, start up a new school year. Yeah, for sure. I know that's going to make you busy. That's for sure. It's busier than you already are. I mean, you like I said, new dad and trying to figure all that out. And now you got to go back to a full-time job. You know, thankfully, you know, your wife will be home to, you know, to help out with stuff. But man, I, I don't, I don't envy you. I, I, you know, I understand that I've been in your position, but I, I don't envy that, uh, that level of, uh, of chaos. Yeah, it's, um, it's been rewarding so far, but it has been a challenge. It's definitely the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, um, which, again, is ironic because it's the most rewarding. You know, you go through, and just in life in general, a lot of really rough times that don't always have that reward on the other end. And this has been the best combination of work and reward that I've ever been a part of. So it's been a blessing so far. Ready for this next chapter. Joining us as well tonight is uh, Jeff Ponce. He is the co-founder of Prospects Live, known as Prospect Jesus on Twitter. And he's here to talk to us about uh, not only Prospect 30s, uh, Prospect Live's newest top 30 for the Royals, but, you know, kind of talk about where the Royals rank, uh, you know, with some of these midseason rankings that have come out from, from different places and different websites. So I'm very excited for the conversation. Jeff, how's it, doing? how's it going tonight? Going well, man. Going well. You know, happy to be here with you. Uh, chatting about some Royals. I actually watched uh, Hernandez's start today against the Cubs, and and he looked tremendous. It, he's been a welcome surprise over the last couple yeah. of weeks. It's been very, very encouraging for what uh, what 2022 could bring when you think about what uh, Lynch is doing right now and what Coar's doing in AAA. It's definitely, a, you know, all signs pointing north right now. Yeah, it looks that way. I mean, you know, when, <laughs> when you sit 98 miles per hour and can run it up even higher than that when needed, and, you know, you got a, a, a slider with, you know, tight gyro shape like that and you throw it hard um, – you're going to get a lot of swings and misses and bad contact and it's happening so far. So good on him. That's a, that's a big dev one for you guys. Yeah. He's been a lot of fun to watch and it's, you know, we, we watched him watching him for years and he's always had the big fastball, but for some reason, I don't know um, if it's the addition of the changeup or if it's the emphasis on the curveball versus his hard slider, but it just seems like his fastball has been more playable up in the zone this year. Um, whereas in the past, for some reason, his 98, 99 just didn't play at the top part of the zone, like, you know, other elite fastball velocities do. So it's good to see him figure out whatever it is. I need to go back and see if maybe 
you know, there's been a change in his extension or whatever, but he does look really good. Um, I want to, I, I want to start with the pitching on the, on your Royals list, Jeff, um, really quick. I'm going to read the top 10 out from the prospects live top 30 to the listeners. It's number one, Bobby Witt Jr. Two, Melendez, three, Lacey, four, Prado, five, Alec Marsh, six, Daniel Lynch, seven, Frank Mazzucato, eight, Jackson Coar, nine, Eric Pena, 10, Kyle Isbell. And then also kind of right behind that is Cox 11, Kaderna 12, Zerpa 13, and Jonathan Bolin at 15. I think it's really interesting that you were willing to go with Alec Marsh as the top pitching prospect behind Asa Lacey, even ahead of Daniel Lynch, even ahead of Jackson Coar. Um, is that more – does that speak more to how you feel about Alec Marsh in terms of being high on him? Or do you think this is more about that maybe Jackson Coar isn't a starter long-term? Yeah, I think a lot of it there, um, you know, when I'm looking at kind of like uh, their seasons and, you know, where Marsh was um, versus other guys maybe two years ago. And, you know, we've obviously seen a massive velo jump there. Um, it's arguably, you know, one of the best fastballs in the system. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, the slider is really good. Um, the numbers are really good in the slider. The trackman's really good in the slider. Um, and he throws it hard, you know. And I think at the end of the day, regardless of what your movement profile is, um, if you throw your breaking stuff hard, you're going to miss bats. And I think the other part of it, too, is we sort of need to give Marsh some time to sort of settle in to that big velo jump. Because um, this is a guy that was like low 90s, um, primarily 88 to like 91 when I saw him on the Cape and then ASU um, really limited, you know, 33 innings in terms of pro experience coming into this year. Um, and then, you know, obviously this year hasn't been what we had anticipated because he hasn't pitched since <laughs> June. So, you know, um, depending upon what that injury is, I know it's somewhat undisclosed that could certainly alter the ranking a little bit in the off season, but, you know, other than Lacey, when I'm looking at, you know, the stuff and, potentially what that player can project out to be. Um, I just think it's Marsh. Like I'm, I'm not, I, I will say that I'm, I'm, I'm not a big uh, Daniel Lynch fan. Um, other folks in the site definitely are. I'm definitely lower on Lynch um, than others are. And, you know, I think it's just, it's tough to rank a guy like Mazzucato um, ahead of, of Marsh or, or, or Lynch. Um and, you know, I think Jackson Coar is just a, it's just a back of the rotation sort of arm, like a five starter, which is fine. But, um, you know, I think the numbers that we saw early on in, in AAA aren't necessarily indicative of what he is. That doesn't mean that, you know, people change and evolve. And that's the thing I think is more present in baseball than other sports. So we could look back on two years from now and this could, this could be a laughable conversation <laughs> by the same token, you know, and, um, we can get into Mazzucato at some point if you want, you know, I, I here in new England um, saw Mazzucato um, was around a lot of area guys this summer um, working the Cape Cod league for perfect game, had a lot of conversations at Mazzucato. I was there in the draft next to folks. So um, yeah, I think he's the guy that could certainly rise tremendously if he's as good as some of the, uh, the higher evaluators are on him, you know? Yeah. Let's, let's talk about him because I think, I don't think there's anybody who thought that the Royals 
would go that under slot, especially just with mm-hmm. the options who are available. Um, I know at first I was really disappointed, and it took me a while to even you know kind of accept and be okay with the with the pick they made. Um, and you know, I, I think it speaks less to Frank what I think of Frank Mazzucato as it does. The Royals just have a really bad track record of developing prep pitchers. Um, <laughs> Carlos Carlos Hernandez is the exception. They signed Carlos Hernandez when he was nineteen. Carlos Hernandez five years later looks phenomenal. I mean, he looks like legitimate middle of the rotation piece for a contending big league club. Um, and it just it scares me a little bit. It, it, it looked a little bit like a lack of self awareness of the strengths of your organization. Um, and we came around on Frank Mazzucato a little bit. We had him like, I think we had him 15th at midseason. Uh, but we had him we had him 14th right behind Ben Coderna. You guys had him number seven. And that is, you know, a few spots ahead of Ben Coderna, five spots ahead of Ben Coderna. So, um, Kudner. Do what? Kudner. He is the most impossible name to say. Yeah. I mean, he, I, I was just. That's his name. His name isn't, isn't, <laughs> we interviewed him and I couldn't pronounce his name. It was hilarious. But yeah, it's Ben, it's Ben Kudner. Okay. So it's so, like Cooter in the beginning. It's very strange. It's the weirdest name. <laughs> like I, I swear to God, it probably took me six months to get to this point, and I'm not even 100 percent sure that I'm like spot on with the name. I, I think I think that's where they went. I mean, that's you went you you have a three million um, over you know you three million. The slot value was 1.7, um, and you land arguably two of the the top prep arms, you know, in the class, and then you and then you pull down Shane Panzini. And you take a chance on some really interesting guys, I think, too, and like Carter Jensen, uh, Dayton Dooney, who can really hit. Um, and then, you know, if you think you can figure out Aaron Sarantola, even if you can get him into a high leverage relief role, man, that could honestly be a major win. And then they and then they sneak in and they sign Luca Tresh in the 17th. So, you know, I think there were I think there was a plan. Like I look at this and it's not. It's not like looking at the Mets draft where they met left a million on the table and <laughs> Kumar doesn't side, you know. Um, I think I, 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 at first, the first few picks, I was like, ugh. But in retrospect, I look back in this draft and I'm like, it wasn't bad. And, you know, obviously they believe in, um, you know, uh, a few of these other, you know, college players that they had drafted a, a little bit later on too. So, like Rivertown, for example. So, so sell me then on Mazzucato being the, being the underslot pick, because obviously up there, like you said, being from Massachusetts, mm-hmm. got to see a little bit of Mazzucato and you yeah. maybe even got to see a little bit of Pandini too. Right. So um, sell me on Mazzucato. Cause I think there were a few other underslot options available that like, honestly, if they would have gone with Connor Norby out of East Carolina, I would have been like, okay, not a big fan, but if you're going to go under slot, grabbing a really underrated college bat, I can get behind. So sell me on Mazzucato as a prospect. Yeah, I mean, well, it's a projectable lefty from a cold weather state. Um, sort of the Blake Walston starter kit, right? And we see how Walston's taken off recently. Um, it was a bad draft, just quite frankly. I, I, you know, I don't think this. we're going to look back in a few years and be like, this was a stacked class. In comparison to the last few and then the next two, it's it was a down class. And uh, I think they trusted their their area guys and their scouts. And it's one of the reasons they were one of the few teams that I think sort of had the stones to go out there and and gamble on some prep pitching. Um, you know, drafting by model, and we see so many model teams now, 
Um, you're really good at, I think, identifying foundational skills and floors. Um, and so you can end up with a lot of fives drafting that way. Um, drafting the way the Royals did this year, you're going to miss in some picks. I think you're also going to hit on some sevens. And I think Miles Acato is a guy that has the opportunity to do that. I mean, I think for a lot of people, he was the best prep lefty in the draft. Um, I had one evaluator who's an area guy um, with an AL East club, um, well-established guy that that said to me this summer that he thought Mazzucato was the second best prep arm in the draft behind Joe. So he had his fans. And I, and I also think that, you know, the percept, the perception publicly of players abilities is sometimes limited by what we know and what we see. And also in terms of who has the largest microphone and who gets out there and shares it, because I can tell you that Mazzucato, we, we started doing draft ranks 13 months ahead of the draft, right? It's the longest draft cycle ever. Mazzucato wasn't on our radar until the late, like February, maybe even like mid March because Connecticut hadn't started playing yet. And he was like 85 to 87 the prior summer. So you know, there was just a lot of work that went in and um, the results were phenomenal. I could tell you that, you know, um, Mets executives were at multiple starts. AJ Preller was at three different starts for Mazzucato. Um, a lot, a lot of teams that draft pretty well, the Mets could say whatever you want. They've added talent to their organization, done a good job. They identify well. And I, and everybody I know that I, I really do trust in terms of like, that's in the actual baseball world um, had pretty high opinions on Mazzucato. So um, is there a high bust rate with a pick like this? Absolutely. But I also think that, you know, you could potentially hit on a star here and, you know, a, a guy that has still some projectability that could be up to, you know, 94, 95 plus within a few years, um, you know, with a really good, you know, breaking ball with feel for spin. So I think, you know, that plays and then it's just a matter of, you know, uh, developing the change up enough. Um, but I do think there's a lot of athleticism there and projectability in the body. And uh, ultimately it's a gamble that the Royals took so they could grab a really talented class. I mean, they, you know, they did about as well in the first five or six picks as anybody. So an, another guy that you had, you guys have in your top 15 is a guy named uh, Vinny Pasquantino. Good. And he's a good friend of our, our site and has hopped on our podcast many times. We were big fans mm -hmm. of his and we had him 21 in our midseason rankings. We felt like that was, going to be kind of on the top end of where he could end up in some of these midseason spots. You know, it's a bat first, really first base only without a ton of athleticism, but multiple sites now have him in the top 20 of the organization. I think pipeline had him 19. You guys have him 14. What impresses you so much about a guy like Vinny? I think it's just the field to hit. Um, if I lined up his numbers and we have access to Statcast data or, you know, Trackman and, and, and uh, Hawkeye, for minor league players. And if I put up these numbers, okay, um, blindly in front of you and then put up Brennan Davis's numbers, we're obviously not putting in speed or defensive value, but just at the plate, he's obviously older too. I get that. You'd be shocked that this guy isn't a top 100 prospect. Um, you know, in terms of contact rate, this is a, this is a plus 80% contact rate guy. I think he's around 84% in the season. That's elite. That's elite. Um, in terms of his expected stats, um, he has an overall expected Woba this year of 411. 
it's actually bet it's actually better than his 402. So it nothing nothing about it is fluky. And then you know you dig in a little bit deeper and you, you take a look at like you know the exit velos and you know his his maxes are over 110. Um so it's 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 borderline plus power. Um field to hit power like that. Um yeah, you know, it's it's first base only, but I think he's solid at first base. I haven't watched a fair amount of, of, of Northwest Arkansas since he's been there. Um, Cause I covered, I covered double a every day for uh, the daily sheet for prospects live. Um, so, I mean, I've probably watched him a dozen times. Um, it's heavy pull side power, but I think it plays cause he's, he's uh, you know, he's obviously left-handed hitting left-handed throwing as well. Kind of fits that, that mold of a first baseman um, to a T. So yeah, I think it's just one of those things where, wasn't really on my radar. Um, the more we watched and then after watching and digging in a little bit, it was like, wow, okay, this is, this is a legitimate bat. Um, and I would even say there's some elements of his game at the plate that I like better than Nick Prado's. And I really like Nick Prado for what it's worth. Um, I think this was one of the prospect uh, pop-up prospects of the year uh, in terms of um, Vinny P. I mean, I just think it, it's, it's good, frankly. So yeah, that's why he was as high as he was. That was a big me pick. I put I pushed I pushed hard to make sure that uh Fascatino was was ranked highly because I I really think that um you know we get so caught up in these prospect rankings of like who's more famous than somebody else, as opposed to just trying to strip it back and be like, what are the skills? What's the profile? Is this gonna work? And it's first base only, but at least it's not right, right. Um, I think that helps a little bit. They've had him in left field a little bit too, haven't they? No, he's I only played first so. base. Okay. No, I, if they put him out in left field, I would be. That's like a. Yeah, he does not move well. Like that, no. no. <laughs> and he and he and he comes by that honestly. He he texts me every time he steals a base because he had like he has to let somebody know that he actually did it. You mentioned Jeff. You mentioned Nick Prado in there. I. I it's going to be something of a you know a good problem to have if you're Kansas City, because Nick Prado obviously gets lauded for his defensive ability. Um, do you think in your evaluations of Prado, and then I do want to come back to Pasquantino really quick, in your evaluation of Prado, in your opinion, do you think there's a chance he could move to like right field? Because Prado in high school was 90 plus off the bump. He had a really good arm. Yep. I think that just the way that Nick moves and the way that we know his arm can play, like there's at least reason to believe that the Royals would be inclined to try if Vinny is this good. But you also have a player who is, again, regarded as one of the best defensive prospects at his position in all of minor league baseball, albeit it's first base. But, again, um, do, do you think that there's a potential for Nick, like in your opinion, or do you think the Royals are going to have to make a decision about a first base slash DH role for both of these guys? Yeah, I think you kind of hope that it, that – he ends up, you know, Pasquatino ends up as like a DH. Um, Cause I just think Prado is just, you know, just the future first baseman. I mean, I don't want to say franchise um, and get ahead of ourselves. I mean, there's still some contact issues there that, that need to be resolved, but the approach is tremendous. There's obviously, you know, um, plus power that's playing in game this season. Um, and he's close. So you know, I, I think it's probably what a year away. Um, when's Pasquatino of uh, Rule Five eligible? Is it this this winter or is it the following winter? No, he would be what well, he's 
19 college kid, so... 2022. Uh, yeah. Okay. So they got a year to figure it out. Um, but, I mean, if you have one guy who's a first baseman, the other guys are DH, I don't think it's all that bad. Um, I guess if they're crunched at DH, then they'll, they'll end up having to move Prado potentially to left field, or Pasquatino gets moved with somebody else for an upgrade. Um, cause they do have a really nice core. I mean, I was thinking about it today as I was watching that Hernandez start and it's like a year from now, we could be talking about a really competitive, um, Kansas city club. I think people were maybe a year or two early with some of their proclamations this off season. Um, and you know, I kind of pushed back a little bit with, uh, Matt Thompson internally on when Bobby Witt would be up. Um, he had bet April fit before April, uh, excuse me, April before August 15th. And I said it would be after. So I won that one. He also had the Royals with a better red uh, uh, record than the Red Sox and uh, finishing uh, second in the division. So he really was into the Royals. I think it's a possibility the next couple of years with the talent they have coming up. Um, I know I'm going off on a tangent here, but yeah, I mean, I think uh, it's a good problem to have. And I think it's indicative of kind of the way things have turned around on the position side this year for the Royals organization and the minors. Um, you know, there was a, I think a lot of that had to do with some of the things that were going on in Wilmington in 2019. You, so I want to really quick, um, and cause I do want to talk about that, the overall production they've, they've made. Um, you've got Vinny Pasquantino on your list, 14 and then Nick Lofton at 17. I was trying to, so this is more of a philosophical question, but we'll use those two players as an example. I was trying to think of a, like a big league comp in terms of value uh, for Vinny. And, and Carlos Santana actually feels like a guy that could be sort of close, like serviceable at first base, not great, um, doesn't strike out much. Maybe Vinny doesn't walk that much, but a pretty good approach to plate, good eye at the plate, good contact skills. Some good pop, but maybe more doubles than home runs. Think of like a Billy Butler, Carlos, you know, Carlos Santana has been that way for much of his career. And if you look at like overall value, in order for Carlos Santana to be more valuable, like in terms of war than Nicky Lopez. And in this case, in order for Vinny Pasquantino to be more valuable than Nick Lofton in the big leagues, he's going to have to be like a 130 weighted runs created plus type of guy. Whereas Nick Lofton, if Nick Lofton plays really good defense on the infield and is a league average hitter, um, you're going to see like relatively equal production. So when I'm going through like a ranking, it's way easier for me to put Nick Lofton up there, like closer to the top 10 than a guy like Pasquantino because Lofton isn't going to have to hit as much. So you put Vinny 14 and Nick Lofton 17, and, and I'm using those two specifically as an example, but Kind of explain um, when you when you rank guys like that. How much does defense weigh in for you guys, like in terms of creating value for the player, and how much of that maybe is you guys being down on Nick Lofton as a hitter? Yeah, um, you know, I think I think some of it is just guys being a little bit closer ahead of him too. Um, you know, with Lofton. Um, I probably wouldn't have like Angel Zerpa ahead of him personally. Um, I know the stuff is loud, but he's really struggled. Um, you, you know, and I think, I think the, the, the issue I have with Lofton, cause I've seen, saw Lofton a lot in the Cape. Um, 
you know, I'm certainly very familiar with the player. Um, you know, the contact skills are there. There's definitely some pull side power. Um, but, you know, I think he's, I think he's league average versus lefties. Um, you know, I think there's some, some questions there in terms of, you know, where Lofton ultimately ends up as a utility guy um, that maybe has some value. You know, I know that Lopez was kind of the same profile and that changed a little bit. He's got, he's got more pop than, than Lopez does even um, probably less contact, um, but he's really passive against left-handed hitters. Um, a lot of it's just, just getting on base. He chases a lot more against left-handed uh, pitchers, excuse me. Um, so that's part of it for me. Um, but, you know, I think within that group, you want to argue that Lofton should be a few spots higher. Fine. You know, I, I think it's, you're talking about, they're all within the same role grades, you know, um, it's averageish power, maybe fringe average power. It's like 105 mile per hour maxes, um, somewhere around there. So, yeah, I, you know, and I think there's probably guys behind him that could ride rise up in the ranks over the next year too. You know, um, Panzini certainly is one. Uh, I think if Peyton Wilson comes in and continues to hit and get on base and do the things that he does well, the chance that guy moves up a little bit obviously doesn't have shortstop defense behind it um, like Lofton does. But yeah, I mean, you know, he's within the 45 OFPs, really saying he could be anywhere as high as probably 10 you know um so it's 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 a pretty small margin between those guys who in your estimation do you think is a guy that maybe is it toward the back part of the top 30 that you guys have or maybe even an honorable mention a guy that didn't quite make your rankings that could rise up and really pop in 2022 um i like kale mashoff um he was a undrafted free agent last year, uh, a guy that kind of popped on late into the radar, maybe had a chance to go in like the top five or six rounds. Um, had it been a 20 round draft and we had a full 2020 season um, like the power, you know, I just think there's some projectable skills there. I think he's a guy that could potentially rise up, not a ton, but, but a bit. Um, there's some elements of John Heasley's uh, uh, game that I like, like I said, I cover double A. So I, I do see a fair amount of his starts. Um, you know, and the stuff isn't bad. I just, it's probably back end starter stuff. Um, but he could probably be better than how we have him ranked. Uh, and I'd have to pull up the full list here. Um, cause we had, you know, probably 50 names that we we're pulling from. Um, we cut it down to 30 just for the mid season updates, just to show movement. And then in the off season, we'll have the full board and, you know, all that stuff sort of ready to go. Um, so give me a second here. I can pull it all up. Um, just have to well, look at some of the other you got a You got a guy there at 29, Michael Massey, who didn't appear on either MLB Pipeline or Baseball America's midseason list. We've got him number 12. He's a guy that I am infatuated over. Good. Um, have you seen Michael Massey? I haven't seen Massey in a couple of years now. Um, it's not a level that I necessarily cover, um, but uh, Reese White does, and uh, Matt Thompson sits in form a lot. And you know, obviously, have have spoken highly about about Massey. Um, good field to hit, um, some projectable raw, but an average runner, good fielder. Um, so an overall good player. I think that's probably another uh, really good pick there. I'm trying to think of where he played in the Cape. I was almost positive I saw him. I don't remember where he played in the Cape. 
Um, you guys have Emshoff 30, Massey 29, Murdoch 28, Heasley 27, Bolaños, Rosario, Klein, and then Peyton Wilson at like 23. Hmm. Peyton Wilson's a guy I really like. I thought he was Me too. Kind of the, the key to that draft class working is getting him to not go back to Alabama um, because I think Ben – Ben Benny Kays and Carter Jensen being local guys, I'm pretty confident those deals were worked out pre-draft. Um, you take a guy like Mazzucato, number seven, that better be worked out pre-draft. <laughs> Peyton Wilson is the only guy that I'm not entirely sure was worked out pre-draft, and so getting making sure he signed was crucial to his draft class. He's a guy I really like. Um, I know some people were knocking the hit tool, which I don't understand. If you're if you're judging a hit tool based on can you make contact with a baseball, then maybe. But his ability to square balls up and his batted ball profile was really impressive. Um, and, and so maybe I think if we're we're talking about Peyton Wilson in terms of like making elite amounts of contact, then maybe you would be down on him, um, like comparably to others. But if you're looking at like smash factor and all that kind of stuff. He's a guy that I am really, really impressed with. He hasn't gotten off to a great start in Arizona, but I really like that pick by Kansas City. Yeah, agree. And then there's a there's a couple other guys here I wanted to sort of shout out. Christian Chamberlain has some really interesting data. Um, another guy that I've been kind of high on, actually wrote about him today in the Daily Sheet, was uh, Drew Parrish. Um, you know, lefty, uh, up in Double A at this point. Um, really interesting fastball, actually. You know, he sits like 91 to 93. I think the average velo is like 92 square, um, you know, 11 o'clock tilts. I mean, he's up to 20 IVB with some decent horizontal break in the fastball. So he's getting a decent amount of bore on it. Um, hasn't had great results against the four seamer, but his secondaries are pretty good. Um, the changeup in particular, uh, I mean, it's got like a 112 Woba against, um, you know, 40 plus percent whiff rate. Uh, that's a good pitch. And he's and he's got a harder curveball too. That's in the low 80s, um, you know, low, high 70s, low 80s. It isn't too bad. You know, higher spin there as well. So, um, kind of an interesting arm. He's another guy that was outside our our top 30. That it wouldn't shock me if you know he continues to pitch well in Double A. Uh, if he pushes into the back end of that list a little bit, because uh, I do like him. There's one more guy I want to ask you about on your ranking, and then I want to get to kind of the the greater scope of how the Royals fit in against some other orgs. You have you guys have Jonathan Bolin at number 15. If he doesn't tear his UCL, so I guess is, is does the Tommy John surgery factor into his ranking? Because I saw him in Springfield, and he looked by far better than any Royals pitching prospect in the minors this year, save for Jackson Kowar. I mean, he was dotting up 97 on the corners, mixing his pitches well. He was mm-hmm. not long for double A. And mm-hmm. I strongly feel that if he didn't get hurt, we'd, we'd see him in Kansas City right now. Is is his ranking, does it reflect the injury at all, or is that purely off of his ability? No, that that definitely reflects the injury a little bit. Um, you know, I think there, I think probably, you know, he's probably top 10 for me. Um, there's a group of us that, that put in these rankings. So, you know, I got to obviously take other people's opinions, factor that in as well. You know, I think you could make a case that he's probably better than just about any of these arms that are ahead of him and, you know, might have more impact than, um, than Isbell, 
you know, Kyle Isbell, um, once a, you know, few years down the road and we look at it, uh, you know, as you said, I mean, he looked tremendous. I know it was obviously limited sample size early this season. Um, you know, I think he threw like 250 pitches around there. Um, so like I said, not a huge sample size, but his fastball was really good. Um, we know about the velo, um, relatively efficient shape. It's not super high spin, but that doesn't matter. It's efficient spin. Um, it's a good slider, heavy gyro, um, gets whiffs on it. And, you know, I think it's just a matter of him refining that a little bit more and landing it more in the zone. Um, but yeah, I, I like Bolin and I think at worst, you know, um, you could be talking about a high leverage arm here. Let's move into the, um, the, the, the way that the Royals fit in against other clubs. Baseball America released their midseason organizational rankings list. They have Seattle number one, Baltimore number two, Kansas City number three, Pittsburgh Pirates number four, the Giants number five, and then rounding out the top ten, Detroit, Tampa Bay, Cincinnati, Boston, Toronto. Really actually kind of an intriguing list. And I know Baseball America tends to be kind of scout heavy. They've been moving actually in a more analytical direction, I think but typically pretty scout heavy, pretty. Um, There's secondary source. There's secondary source heavy. Yeah. That's that like uh, most like them, Kylie, a lot of that stuff is coming from agents. It's coming from um, the teams. It's coming from executives and stuff like that. Um, you know, they're not as, they're not as focused on like, there's certainly guys that are, you know, like Badler, of course, but um, it seems like they're more and more like sourced more than anything. I think it's the best way to describe DA. <laughs> which isn't, which isn't always, you know, it, it can, it can lead to some real big faults, but it also, they were one of the first groups to get Carlos Hernandez on their Royals list, because I think a lot of it, some of it is fed from the org itself. Like, Hey, you got to keep an eye on this Carlos Hernandez kid. So they put the, they put the Royals at number three. I'm curious, a, how you personally see the Royals system fitting in amongst even like the top 10 and B do you think that the Royals, wherever you have them is more because the guys at the top are carrying it or because they have such a deep middle grouping of prospects from like 10 to 30 that they get a leg up on everybody else. Yeah. I mean, I think they're, I think they're definitely um, within the top five. Um, I don't think that's much of a question. And I think that, you know, the biggest boost for the system is, is certainly the fact that, you know, you have a superstar at the top. I mean, you have arguably one of the best prospects in the minor leagues, um, if not the best. I think that case is certainly being made behind the scenes, um, maybe publicly as well. And they've drafted well over the last couple of years, you know, and they've shown an ability to get arms to the majors, Um Lacey obviously started out a little rough. That's curved out a little bit. There's been a lot of improvement overall. And I think um, that's a testament not only to the players, but also to the player dev side and recognizing where there's issues. Um, I know there was a lot of tinkering going on, um, you know, with that group in Wilmington a couple of years ago. And uh, when they kind of stopped tinkering with it a little bit and worked on, you know, individual development plans with these guys um mj for example took off and you know i think we haven't seen many guys that you know all of a sudden go from kind of really forgotten about prospect that had a fair amount of hype coming out of high school 
see big baseball bloodlines there um, that can't hit. I mean, like it, the contact rates were terrible. Um, you know, in game, he was just consistently getting beat by, by spin and, and would, you know, just get tied up and, and frankly was almost never on, on balance. And um, now he's a good contact hitter. He's one of the best contact hitters in the organization, good approach. And he's going to stick behind the plate. I think, um, you know, that could be a potential franchise catcher. So there's a lot of players here at the top that I, I do think carried a little bit. I think there's a huge boost in the fact that you have, Bobby Witt Jr., potential, you know, power hitting future franchise superstar shortstop right there at the top. Um, that boosted a lot, but there's just good depth throughout. Um, you know, I think the conversations we're even having here, you know, within this, this sort of 10 to like 25 group, there's a lot of names that are probably top 10 prospects in, in some of the weaker systems. Um, so, you know, um, I think it's partially depth, but I do think it helps that you have you know, some potential studs at the top and, and one guy in particular in Bobby Witt Jr. Even, even with the, I guess, even with the guys at the top, for me, you know, guys at the top will get you, so like Bobby Witt Jr., if you still think Asa Lacey is a top 70-ish prospect in baseball, having Daniel Lynch in there helps, um, even though I think he recently graduated maybe. It's the guys at the top can make you go from number 10 to number five or from number 10 to number three, like baseball America has them, but it's the depth that gets you into the conversation. Like you can't just have Bobby Witt Jr. And Asa Lacey and be in the top 10. I don't think like, I don't think that's enough for me. It's it's, I don't understand how I do. I totally understand. I am shocked at how quickly the organization went from having absolutely no depth. Like we started Royals farm report in 2017 and Foster Griffin was the best pitching prospect or Miguel Almonte. And it wasn't really particularly close. I mean, that was really not good to now you're drafting guys like Alec Marsh in the second round, taking them from throwing 92 to a 99. And Alec Marsh is arguably a top 100 prospect if he doesn't get hurt. Um, and so the, the way they've gone about player development, uh, hiring Drew Saylor, to come over from the Dodgers and work with the hitters, Paul Gibson taking over as a development there, the, he runs a pitching development. Now the, it, it speaks a lot to the player development, not just the players they have because Jonathan Bolin was a second round pick, but he was not paid like a second round pick. He was paid like a guy you take in the second round when you've taken four really high profile college arms in front of them. Um, and everything they've drafted, like you said, has kind of turned to gold. They get Will Klein in the fifth inning. Will Klein goes out and is absolutely shoving it up hitters' butts at high A. And I know he was a college arm, but he is like one of the two or three youngest pitchers in all of high A this year and looks really good out of the bullpen. I just – I think the the depth is, is really coming along. And I was looking at your top 30 a little bit ago. You said that there were 50 guys that you were kind of pulling from to create your top 30 – there's the old – I can't remember. I think it's Baseball America that said any system at any point in time has 35 players who will reach the big leagues. And when I look at the Royal system and I see their depth, I mean, we're not even talking about guys like Ryland Kaufman, a left-handed pitcher who's 21 years old and low A and has a curveball that is absolutely ridiculous. We're not talking about 
Sully Matias, who hit a home run in the Futures game uh, a few years back. We're not talking much about John McMillan, who is probably going to be a big, re- big league reliever in some capacity. Mm-hmm. They just have a ton of depth, and everything that they've done in the last few years has been so drastically different. Um, do, you, do you know enough to kind of speak about the changes they've made internally? Or, um, you know, like I said, like hiring Drew Saylor, going to Paul Gibson to the pitchers or. Um, no, I know. I know less about them from, you know, like a real specific sort of um, dev setup. You know, I know some players in the organization. I'm close with uh, some folks in, you know, MJ Melendez's camp. Um, so I'm pretty aware of a lot of the stuff that that he's told me. Um, but, you know, in terms of like specific names, stuff like that, no. Um, but, you know, I think it's pretty obvious from the outside, just looking in, um, that something's obviously changed. And I do know that, you know, like I said, plans and training was much more specific as opposed to being sort of a general, generalized thing where we try to get everybody to, you know, swing this way and pitch this way. And um, I think that's something that gets a little underrated in, you know, the modern game um, and with modern organizations is that it's not one size fits all. That was a big part of a lot of the changes that happened with like Baltimore um, with the regime change there. And I think it's, um, it's similar here um, just from the sense of um, they've gotten more progressive in terms of their approach to training. That's something the Royals used to be really bad about, especially on the pitching side specifically is, you know, cookie cutter ways of doing things. And I just, I am so glad they've gotten away from that and, even if their pitching development has been more hands-off lately, you know, just good to see them in any capacity um, having success developing pitchers. I've got three questions really quick um, for you that are more player specific. And then Jeff, we appreciate your time. We'll let you go. Uh, Three quick hitters, really quick. Kyle Isbell, everyday outfielder or fourth outfielder on a big league club. Oh, it pains me to say this because I've been a big fan of Isbell um, since he was in the Cape and and then obviously UNLV. Um, but I think he's a fourth outfielder. I just I don't think there's enough thump in the bat and, you know, the hit tool and on base ability isn't that that it can really boost the profile enough. Um, and it's not like, you know, he's a slam dunk every day center fielder, you know. Um, I had a lot of hope coming out of camp when he broke camp, obviously, and was like, all right. <laughs> Here we go. Um, that's starting to play a little bit, um, but it's been a struggle this year. So, you know, we'll see. I, I still think he's a, obviously a, a, a major league asset. I just don't think he's necessarily a, an everyday regular. True or false, Benny K's Ben Kuderna will make a top 100 list before he reaches the big leagues. Yeah, I think, uh, I think that's true. I think there's a good chance that he does. Um especially if he comes out and he performs, uh, continues to improve. Um, just an ultra competitor. He's got good stuff, um, good frame. So, yeah, I think that uh, that's, that's not out of the realm of possibility. It may take a couple of years, like it does with a lot of these prep arms. You know, they got to bake a little bit longer. But um, I think ultimately he could end up being, you know, the key to this draft for the Royals. Clay Dungan, Jason Guzman, and Michael Garcia, which is most likely to be an everyday big league infielder? 
Oof. Um, <laughs> that's a good one. Um, man. Uh, give me the names again. Clay Dungan, Jason yep. Guzman, yep. Michael Garcia. What level is Michael Garcia at? He is playing shortstop at high A. All right. So that's why I'm not all that familiar with him. Um, man, I'm going to say Guzman uh, probably has the best chance of, of, of being a, a regular. I just, I don't know. I think Dungan is a, it's a, it's a nice story, but um, don't love the approach. And, you know, I think that it, it's aggressive too. I just, I don't know. Uh, we had some, we have some, we have a reader that loves him. <laughs> so um, that was like the first question that we got as soon as uh, we put those Royal ranks out. We're like, where's Clay Dungan? I can understand. I, I'm, I'm There's a big pop, fan, but I get it. There is, it's, and it's sneaky pop, but it's almost like he started hitting for some pop and then got drunk on it and forgot that maybe that's not who he was. And I think yeah. he's slow. He's He's been slow in the second half to adjust to being, a little more Nicky Lopez than Jason Guzman. Um, I, I always forget that he's already 25 years old, so that does play a factor. But I'm a big Dungan fan. We actually got him ranked higher than Guzman and Garcia on this list. Um, I get, I lied. I got two more really quick ones. Austin Cox, starter or reliever? Oof. Um, is he a starter or a reliever? That's a good question. Um going to pull up my notes right here now somebody that i did write up um i don't know if the strike throwing is good enough frankly um fastball would have to play up a little bit more as a reliever um it probably does velo wise shape wise i mean he's like a, a 20 plus ivb guy um so he's not getting necessarily the whiffs that he should be getting. Some of that might be location and just trying to land, you know, at the top of the zone. It looks like he throws low a lot more than he probably should. Um, and it's not a bad curveball. It's gotten pretty good results. Um, but he's primarily, I mean, he's got four pitches. Um, but I don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't throw that slider too much more if I were him. So I guess, I guess there's a chance. I mean, he's a back-end guy, but I think he could probably play up a lot more as a, as a reliever just simply because of that fastball shape. Last question for me. Daryl Collins is a big league, everyday guy, true or false? Ooh. You know, I want to say true because we were on Collins real early via uh, Jason Panini, uh, who's now with the Twins. Sorry, guys. Um, and uh, Jason, you know, was obviously, you know, one of our, our co-founders. Um, was out in Arizona working the complex at the time. Um, still does, only it's his full-time job. And uh, he was a big Collins guy. That there's still a lot of projectability there. Um, you know, it's he, he's really good against right-handers, um, still struggling a little bit against lefties. So, you know, that's that's a big part of it. we got to see what happens there. I put up a stat on Twitter the other day. That isn't bad, though. Um, his strikeout-to-walk ratio and overall offensive production – like for a teenager in mm-hmm. A-ball since 2006, it was like it was Daryl Collins, Luis Urias, uh, Michael Brantley, Jerickson Profar, Vladito. Um, there's like a four or five. Like there were a few guys who clearly are out of Collins' league. 
But yeah. then like Michael Brantley was like he, he and Daryl Collins across the board had really similar numbers. Um, but the, if the you, point if of that you is, had a guess, if you had a guess with Collins, what is what is max exit velos are? What would you guess his number is? Jesus Christ, probably not good. Um, if I had to guess, I'd probably say something like 97, 98. All right. His max exit velo versus right handers is 113. What? Yeah. No. Yeah. There's pop against righties. His big issue is lefties. His max exit velo against left-handers is 101. He hit a ball 113 miles an hour? Yeah, he did. Wow. Yeah, I mean, his 90th percentile was like 97%. I mean, 97 miles per hour, but yeah. Yeah, he, he can run it up, apparently. He's got, some, he's got a few really hard-hit balls to his pull side. That is absolutely noteworthy because the, the approach is elite. The, his ability to – like, I don't know that I've ever seen personally – and I've only been watching minor league baseball like really, really hard and in depth for like four or five years now. Um, but in those four or five years, I don't know that I've ever seen a teenager with a better approach. Now, obviously, there are there are guys out of his class, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I'm not and Juan Soto. I'm not talking yeah. about that. But like <laughs> for for like an, a normal prospect, I've never seen one with an approach like that. He his ability to be ready to hit a high fastball and then lay off of it when it's a little too high is not it's it's so special his ability to not chase pitches but also like identify what he wants and even if it's something he's looking for and it's just off the plate to not swing is my god i love it it's so much fun to watch and to hear that he can run up there and and tag it like that is it's it's, it's important it is it's important and it matters so i'm glad to hear that mm. Jeff, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for your time tonight. Before we get you out of here, we ask this question to everybody uh, that comes on our show. If you could go back and watch one moment live in baseball history, you're there in person, what would it be? Um, poof. That's a good one. Um, you know, I think this is probably like a, a really stupid moment to say now um, because I think there's obviously like, significantly like bigger moments um but just you know as a kid um i'm 39 years old so uh you know the home run chase happened when i was in high school and um you know it was one of the few times uh i'm a huge baseball guy of course my family isn't <laughs> but it was one of the few times everyone was really tuned in and i think uh i think being there when mcguire broke the broke the home run record even if it's fraudulent um to me would have been great. Just a really unique moment. I mean, I could have said like the Red Sox, you know, breaking the curse and all that sort of thing. But I had such good experiences with like my friends and my family for those moments that I don't think I would change it. And, um, you know, going back in time for, you know, whatever the moment might be. Um, <laughs> I think, I think I'd actually go to that, which is like probably pretty lame, but um, it's just one of those times where like, you know, the Maris family and it was, you know, Sosa was there and just like the whole environment. I can't even remember the, 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 the Homer being like sort of a piss missile, like line drive out to left field, like to kind of snuck out there. Um, I just think that would have been really cool uh, to be there and experience that um, just because it was, uh, it is like one of those moments that sticks out for, you know, for me and like my, as a kid, you know, that grew up in the steroid era and, idolized all those guys whether it was bonds or mcguire or jose canseco before that um you know i think that's probably the big one and there weren't a lot of big moments when i was a kid with like the red Sox or the hometown team so 
think that's probably the one I go with. Well, I think regardless of era, regardless of steroids, no steroids, any of that, that moment is so iconic because that, I mean, I, I was really young at the time, so I obviously don't have any true recollection of it, but, you know, looking back and talking to people that were in that era, like that saved baseball for so yeah. many people because of the strike in 94, like that, the home run chase with Sosa and McGuire got people back into the game. And so it's, I think it still has its place in baseball history and baseball lore, regardless of whatever it was, because that was just the era that, yeah. that was, it's a part of the game. And I, I don't want to try and I don't want to ignore it. I, I almost, well, I don't want to ignore that because it, it is a significant piece of the history of the game. And I think people forget early, for like the first half of that season, it was a three-way race. It was Griffey, McGuire and Sosa. And I mean, like, could you have like two more fun players between like Sosa and Griffey and then, you know, McGuire, who I think was just like for all of his faults, obviously, and the things that happened, he's like a lovable teddy bear. I don't think anyone really disliked Mark McGuire in the public space at that point for any reason at all. Um, you know, the hatred all went through Conseco, <laughs> <laughs> which I think there's still some of that. That's still probably somewhat justified to be frank. That, as that, much as I collect right Jose Conseco rookie cards. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't dislike Jose, but yeah, I think that's the case. So like softball home run derby champion at this point, I think, I think that's how he's making his money now. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, Jeff, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, Look forward to continuing to read your work. Everyone go to Prospects Live, see what, what Jeff and the other guys at that site do. You know, Joe Doyle came on pre-draft. Uh, they do fantastic work. And follow Jeff at Prospect Jesus, one of the best uh, handles on all of social media. So, uh, Jeff, thank you so much again, and uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it, guys.